to In Good Company on NTS Radio, a monthly radio show for working women with me, Otego Uagba. I'm the founder of Women Who, which is a London-based community for creative working women, and I'm also the author of the Sunday Times bestseller, Little Black Book, a modern career guide for working women that you can find on Amazon or at all good bookstores. On today's show, I'll be talking to Liv Little, founder of Galdem, which started out as an online magazine created by women and non-binary people of colour, and has since become a fully-fledged media platform that's giving some of the long-established names a run for their money. Liv set up Galden back in 2015 whilst she was still at uni in Bristol, and since then it's gone from strength to strength. As well as publishing a steady stream of digital content on everything from politics to pop culture, the Galdem team have also produced a series of print magazines, hosted regular events, and partnered with brands and cultural institutions such as the V&A, Nike, and The Guardian Weekend. In short, Galdem has become one of the most influential platforms for people of colour within the UK, gathering an army of loyal followers along the way and fostering a sense of genuine community that has provided solace for many, myself included. Ask Otega is back this month with a question from a listener who's wondering whether to pursue a career as a social media influencer. I'm also delighted to announce we have our very first sponsor on the show in the form of Motley London. Motley is a contemporary jewellery brand on a mission to democratise design, offering everything from delicate pendants for everyday wear to knockout statement pieces. They collaborate with world-class fine jewellery designers to produce exclusive designs that are then crafted at their atelier in Turkey. And because Motley only sells direct-to-consumer, they're able to cut out the middleman and offer high-quality jewellery at affordable prices. As I'm sure you know by now, I love a female-founded business, and Motley was created by two brilliant women, Cecily Motley and Alana Lever, who between them have 20 years' experience working in consumer goods and high-end jewellery. I already own a pair of their bubble earrings, which are these absolutely gorgeous structural gold hoops with a really striking pearl detail, and I've also got my eye on their Lagan bracelet, which I'm planning on wearing with lots of slip dresses and sandals once summer arrives. Whether you're gifting or self-gifting, Motley is the perfect place to pick up show-stopping jewellery without breaking the bank. So to check them out for yourself, head to www.motley-london.com or click the link in our show notes. That's www.motley-london.com. In Good Company listeners can also enjoy a 15% discount off all Motley pieces by entering the code WOMENWHO15 at checkout. That's W-O-M-E-N-W-H-O-1-5. Thank you very much to Motley London. And now, over to Live Little. Um, yeah, so Galdam is um, a media company, an award-winning media company, mm-hmm. um, where all the content is produced by women and non-binary people of colour. We do that in basically many different ways. Like we, The aim of us is to kind of support, uplift, champion um, voices and stories that aren't often seen or told in mainstream media. So we do events. We work with like brands to create campaigns. Um, we work with like museums, galleries, institutions, all with the aim of uplifting and supporting and showcasing the creative talent of women and non-binary people of colour um, on a global scale. You know, we started with our London base, but who knows? So yeah, I started it four years ago as a direct response to uh, like severe feeling of uh, isolation and just like hopelessness I was like I don't know no but I wanted to ask what is it about that environment that yeah. was making you feel like hopelessness or mm. feeling sort of Mm-mm-mm. whatever you were feeling that made you decide to start this as a response yeah um it was just super white um and like you were at Bristol right at Bristol yeah and there were just a lot of people that I couldn't connect with and they were like 
more than that though, there was no one really that looked like me. There were a few people like in my seminars, I was pretty much always the only black person. Mm. Um, and in my lectures, maybe you'd see like again, usually one. There was another girl actually, I think called Ella or something. But there, but I'd maybe see her sometimes. But there, there, like we were a rarity, right? And that was stressful and uncomfortable, especially coming from London and like yeah. like ha- having a black family and just you know like having all these like black aunties and like people around like that wasn't something that I was that I was seeing reflected in this space and it wasn't even just like oh my god people are white it was like it was like a next level of privilege like I remember being in halls um like visiting my friend in halls um they said in like one of those ones where like everything is catered for you and one of the like boys called his friend like I'm not gonna like rephrase but a black see you something like not not you know whatever and um and me and my friends were all sitting there like how is that his friend and that's his friend calling him like what like Mm. and then and then he's like oh no you know like it's just it's cool like it's a joke like it's just whatever and I'm like how did the friend take it the person who's being called a black see you and the friend just kind of like just brushed it off. Just brushed it off, which I think maybe like when you've been in that environment for so long and disrespected for so long, mm. like you could become numb to it. But I, I had to leave. I was just like, this is like absolutely disgusting and really like representative of just a culture mm. in this institution that is vile. I went to a similar uni. I went mm. to Oxford, which I think Ooh. in terms of, but I think in terms of the sort of person that you yep. find, they're exactly the same. Yep. Um, and I was like, you know, one of very few black people. And I do think it is just having to deal with, I didn't have the language at the time to address mm. it. Um, I went to uni a couple of years before you, I'm a tiny bit older. Um, and it was just a constant stream of microaggressions that mm. I'm only really mm. now putting into context mm. and realizing how bad it was. I mean, I wouldn't have put up with someone calling me that, but yeah. it's just, it's more low level things, yep. which are kind of as insulting and they're more insidious. So, yeah. Um, I think it's amazing that you kind of channeled that into something. Oh, yeah, it was gross. I mean, like, I don't know if I if there wasn't something, if there wasn't an outlet, if there wasn't like something, something to channel energy into that was like a positive thing, a celebration. Then I just I was I'm not gonna be able to like finish my degree. And Mm. um, I like I need to do something which is enjoyable. And it wasn't like I was bad at uni. I was good at uni. But like that didn't matter (laughs) because the rest of it was so, uh, I guess, toxic. Mm. And was it just you at the start? Who started um, So I like came up with this idea, and even though I had no journalistic experience, I was like, yeah, I mean, it would be great to create like a platform. So I came up with the name and like a concept of what it was going to be, um, and then like and asked a few people that I know that I knew like, do you think like what do you think of the name? And everyone was like, yeah, yeah, I really like the name. Um, and then I like started posting in like different groups online, just being like, oh, like is anyone like interested in like getting involved? Um, and that was mainly in like Bristol groups. I was like a woman of colour in Bristol. I don't know how we found that group, but then it's kind of how we all started to find each other. Mm. Um, and then like met up with a few people Like we had like a big lunch. Um, and that was more of like a friend making exercise than like um, necessarily everyone that was there, like became a part of Gowden. But it was just good to like have this like net start, start to forge this network, yeah. um, which we all really need. And everyone was going through like similar stuff, but we didn't know that we all were there, yeah. which was and not, I say we all, like there were still not that many of us, but mm. there were more of us than just us, right? Um, but yeah, it was like a case of like reaching out and seeing who 
who who would be like a good fit and who was interested. Mm. And so what was what did it look like when Galdem launched? Like so that mm. was I feel like it was because I remember following the Twitter account from before. Oh, really? Yeah, from ah. before it launched. I saw it. Yeah. Um, because I was just, I think it was maybe Galdem launched a bit before I launched Women Who, so I was kind of just paying attention to what was going on yeah, in yeah, the kind yeah. of women's scene. But I remember seeing the logo yeah. and seeing this thing and following it and being like, oh. okay, I wonder where this is going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what are like, they doing? We don't even no, know. No, I didn't think that. I just thought, it looked, but I just remember just being really impressed by it, but also just being really excited by it. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, it's funny because like, that summer running up to it is when, you know, like all the plans were in place. Like we had a big meet up in like Brixton. Everyone was wearing these t-shirts even though we hadn't launched anything yeah, yet. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember like me and Antonio like went out, Um, we had printed flyers and we were just like going around like like bloody Brick Lane and, and in Brixton and just being like, hey, like guys, you should check out this thing. And everyone was like, cool, like what is it? And we're like, well, it's not launched yet. I remember we just had like the Facebook <laughs> and the Twitter link, but we were like, but it's coming soon. It was, um, and it then it great. came in September and it was like a super basic um, like website design. So how has Galdem developed since that stage as a mm. business? Can you mm-hmm. kind of talk me through the stages? Because I feel like there have been like phases. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of early iteration. Can you talk me through it and how you've kind of developed to where you are now? The first year of Gowden was final year, like stresses, life, whatever, mm-hmm. trying to do stuff. But we weren't putting out content particularly regularly. I think we put out like a couple of pieces a week or something. Um, and, and can I ask, we who was writing those pieces? Um, lots of people, but we I used to write a lot for the site back then. Okay. <laughs> I used to write a lot about like women in asylum because that's what I was um, kind of studying as well and like mm-hmm. really interested in. Um, and like, like policy around that. Um, but yeah, all of us as editors, we were actually writing like a lot more, I think, than mm. than we ended up in later, in later years. But yeah, so that first year, you know, we did like a few events, but it was like quite low key. Second year was like the VNA takeover, um, and we started to do more events and like have a bit more of a presence. Like do did a little bit more a little bit more stuff with like cultural organizations and that kind of thing. Um, Not really any brand work at that point. Um, I think we might've done ASOS supports talent where they give you like a cash injection to like, um, to like make a project happen, but all the money has to go like solely on the project. Um, So we did like this big audio visual um, like project with all these poets and it was amazing and beautiful and wonderful. So that happened. Then now comes the third year and, um, was that? Yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah. Now comes the third year, second third. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to think, like, at what stage different things happen because it's like I've been like living, breathing, sleeping, dreaming about it. I'm yeah. like, it all kind of starts to merge into one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I knew. Basically, I had been working in TV for like the year and a half, maybe like after, like I graduated and after the first year of Galdem, and like. I don't know, TV hours are crazy, right? Like, it's just, like, long hours, like, super... Just, it's just, it's hard to do other stuff. So I remember, like, I would be trying to, like, set up some meetings with brands and stuff, and, like, I'd just be lying to everyone and being like, yeah, you know, like, I'm super busy. I'm, like, just booked up until, like, 7 p.m., but really Mm. I'm just, like, on set somewhere. And, like, it just, it became, like, too much to juggle. Like, everyone's always had stuff that they've been doing um, alongside it. But for me, like, I just, I just, uh, it was like, it was great and amazing and we were doing so much good stuff. But my God, like, I was so tired and so stressed. Mm. Um, so, like, in the third year, 
I like the work that I started to take on was more like digital focus in that like um, video realm because there's a bit more flexibility. So I started doing like part time stuff, freelance stuff, bit modeling, bit this, bit that, where I was going to pay the bills. Mm. So I could focus for a year on growing Galdem and getting it to a stage where we were like, we had proof of concept in a way that probably other businesses run by like white men don't need to do. Yeah. Um, but whatever, like we, there were certain like um, milestones that I wanted us to hit and a certain amount of money that I wanted to like prove that we could raise before like trying to get um, investment and like taking it to the next level and making mm-hmm. sure that like everything um, could be paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was interesting. And I remember like, I underestimated how intense of a job fundraising is. Yeah. Um, Sharma had said, like, yeah, you know, like, live, like, it's, it's like, going to be intense and you kind of have to just focus on that. And I was like, but I can't because i got to, like, pay my bills and do mm. this and that. But um, that was interesting, like, and, and also, like, carving out those networks when you don't have them. Interesting. <laughs> so can I, just to really dig into that, yeah. um, when you say you were kind of trying to build a proof of concept and, mm. I guess, show that Galdem could be a viable sustainable business mm. like what did you actually need to have in place to demonstrate that and uh what like you aiming for yeah uh like a clear not necessarily like i mean a clear business plan in terms of what your streams are going to be but not like as in it not in the old school way where it's like you have a 30 page document that's written mm. out it's more to do with like numbers and like seeing who you need and where you need it and like where your revenue is going to come from and like how that's going to be viable so we had like this giant spreadsheet that was reworked like over the course of a year many times mm. you have to get your pitch deck ready um again like I went and I saw Sharma and she was like no 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 this is not how it should be like do it more like this and that was like really useful just for everyone listening you mean Sharma Dean Reed Sharma Dean Reed yeah um and so yeah there were like getting advice and tips and stuff from different people but also like going out and making the networks the networks that you don't have right like Mm -hmm. going out and like being in the right places like in things for like women founders like finding out who to be connecting with and who to talk to and like networking like hard so who were you targeting for investment was it venture capitalists was mm. it angel investors was it individuals institutions yeah 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 individuals like on the majority of it was individuals and then obviously like backstage which is like a vc fund but like for the most part individuals obviously in an ideal world we'd get like all people that look like us who are based in i want like it would have been ideal to get like a lot of people that are based like here like from you know from from where Galdem started um like but two of our investors are like um well one is a fund which is headed up by uh, a black woman and another one is a black woman um but both in the states mm-hmm. um and then like a few angels here um but yeah I mean it's a lot it was a lot of like doing a lot of research and like finding out maybe about businesses that were similar to us that other people maybe had got uh, had invested in mm. a lot of like stalking on companies how mm. yeah that's um, one. yeah <laughs> just anything really you have mm. to be as dynamic as possible and and as creative as possible with the ways that you reach out to people i think and without asking you to kind of reveal too much about mm-hmm. the galdem business plan yeah. but i am intrigued as to what essentially is the kind of case you put forward because you are you know primarily digital media but you mm. know a media platform mm-hmm. in an age where digital mm. media mm. is struggling and mm. things are shutting down by the day almost it feels and so I want to understand what case you made to say mm. hey we can turn this to a viable business that mm. makes money our case is very strong because we're speaking to an audience that hasn't been spoken to an audience that is like 
that is that deserves to be spoken to that is valuable that like do consume things that mm-hmm. do exist and I think often there's a misconception that it's like this teeny tiny little niche but no actually this is like a massive demographic of people yeah. that are being underserved so that's incredibly strong and I think the publications that are like that really know who they're speaking to mm-hmm. are the publications that are going to continue to thrive and to do well even in this climate which is quite um, competitive and I think you have to be dynamic and you have to like have multiple strings to your bow and like mm. lots of different things that the business can offer like all towards the same end goal but I think it's just that traditional media is changing but I think there are lots of these new young uh, interesting companies that are doing really well if you look at like the skim mm. who are doing amazingly yeah. I think it's just you have to like change I don't know your mindset or your like conception of what it is that media should be achieving and like you know but I suppose you also have to rely on because this is kind of what I was really getting at rely on revenue and income from different places yeah. and is it you know brand money ad money is oh, it yeah. subscriptions like yeah, what yeah. is that yeah. case um, yeah like a majority like to date has been brand money but we've got mm. some other streams that we're developing which right. are exciting um, so you know whether that's things that we offer to our audience specifically yeah. um, looking at doing like a bit more insight strategy and that mm. kind of stuff um, so yeah, but they all they all tie into to the to the key offering and like if you're you're working with us on you know in one way you should be able to work with us in all of the other ways yeah. as well. But yeah, definitely like one of the major things that I was focusing on in that year and that you know is the kind of thing that sustains. I think mm. most like digital media is is that kind of um, brand work. I'm really excited to see what you guys do roll out because I feel like. Galdem stands out to me as one of the, I guess, entities or digital platforms um, in recent years that's come out that has just got this unbelievably engaged community. Mm-mm-mm. Like, and it's just cut through mm. and it has, like, we were joking earlier, like, oh, have you not heard of Galdem? Like, if you haven't heard of Galdem, literally, where have you been? So I feel <laughs> like mm. I am perhaps more so than other digital media platforms, I do have confidence in Galden being able Thanks. to actually <laughs> stay the path. No, it's Good. true. I'm not just trying to like gas you up, but, um, but no, it's fine. I'm intrigued as to, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing where yeah. that comes about. Yeah. I'm, I'm very confident that we're going to like continue to grow and we've continued to grow and like build out of nothing. Um, yeah. which I think is a testament to like, that's the another thing that we as well. It's like really the strong. fact that you've only you've only got funding now, like four years in, yeah. and managed to do all of what Guardian you've done. Takeovers and all these things, like, yeah, yeah, for sure. I want to get for onto sure. those in a second, okay. but before I talk about you know partnerships, and takeovers, and that yeah. kind of thing, I want to talk to you about managing because you are, as you've just said, twenty five. Yeah, and you started <laughs> Galden when you were still in uni. Yep. Obviously, you've worked in other capacities, yeah. like, you know, you've been freelancing, but though I do think that's quite different from working a nine to five Mm-mm. in terms of managing I've done, and being yeah, managed. Yeah, I've done, um, well, I think the TV hierarchy is like an interesting one because mm. um, I was like working in one specific company as a researcher for a year mm. um, and the dynamic between that when you're feeding into someone else versus when you're like doing your own thing and managing um, other people and right. tasks and stuff is, it's very different. Obviously, and I, I prefer to do it this way. Yeah, and also I think now you have the age, agency of being, not to brag, but you're like, no, I'm Liv Little Galdem. Like, I think there is more of an agency, mm-hmm. presumably now, than you would have had two oh or my three God, years yeah. ago. Yeah, for sure. But I want to understand, how have you found the experience of managing other people? And how have you learned about that? Mm. Because I do think that's quite an extraordinary 
age and point in your career mm. which to be managing other people I think you learn a lot my god you learn a lot you learn a lot about yourself mm. um you learn a lot about like what does work and what doesn't work okay. I think the interesting thing is obviously like now that we're like in this formalized setting and like everyone's in and like it's you know you've got your days and your hours that you're there and you've got your HR procedures and you've got reviews and you've got like all of these things and like we're all just in an open plan office so we can just like speak to each other that that in itself already makes the world of difference and it makes it a lot easier to like, because um, it's not like a thing of like micromanaging people because mm. everyone is like very, very capable. It's just, you know, making sure that everything comes together and that everyone feels heard and that we're moving towards the goals that we need to move towards. Mm. Um, so yeah, we've put like so many things in place to like, to stay on to stay on track of like where everyone is from like a happiness perspective, but also um, making sure that we get done what we need to get done. But we're launching um, an internship program as well. Brilliant. Yeah. I saw that on your website, actually, when I was doing my research for yeah. internship, which I think is really, really brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to be amazing. Um, and we're going to be able to, like, take people on uh, in a London living wage paid capacity. Brilliant. And we're also trying to partner with someone um, to figure out a way to, to support people that come from outside of London as well. Mm. That's just TBC. Mm. But so, we're, we're, you know, we're trying to do as much as we can to, like, create this environment that, like, feels healthy, happy and robust. But when you don't have that infrastructure and like you're doing things as and when and everyone's got lots of stuff like, oh, my God, it's so hard to to balance and to to manage, I guess. And you don't want to like you don't want to be like pushy because everyone's like putting their time and energy into it's voluntary into it. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and other than other than like in the cases when we had like projects coming in. Mm. So it's like it's, it's an interesting balance to 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 get right. And. I've had so many like crises in confidence, like mm. as to whether, oh my God, should it be, should I be doing it? Like, is this right? Is it going to work? Um, ultimately, I think, yes, like it, <laughs> it is going to work. I think like I'm fairly good with people. Um, like I love speaking to people. I love listening to people's stories and, and all of that kind of stuff. But I'm putting things in place. Like I'm going to do some managerial training um, from May um, with Creative Equals and, I think you just have to like try and equip yourself as much as possible and also not like because it's very easy like I started to listen to loads of podcasts about like startups and like that kind of stuff and like how do you like manage a team and whatever I think it's really good to like listen to people's stories and to ask people about their experiences and I've got loads of mentors that I can ask about their experiences but I also think you have to like carve out like your way mm. um and that doesn't have to be the same as someone else's way. So what is your way? Like, what have you learned about managing in the past four years? Um, like, what what tips would you give? Let's say someone is kind of starting out yeah. their first company and they've got, like, two or three employees or something like mm -hmm. that. Like, what mm. things would you say, do do that, don't do that, here is a mistake I made, here is something that I learned really the hard way? Yeah, interesting. I think, like, one of the biggest things that for, for me in terms of a learning perspective is, like, how to delegate Obviously, I'm a control freak. <laughs> and um, mm. and Marielle, like, now that we're in the office, and I'm like, oh, my God, but, like, can I do it? She's like, well, you're not doing it on your own. Like, I'm here. Charlie's here. Like, we're here. Like, we, we're all as invested, and, like, we want this to work. And it's not, like, if it fails, it's your fault. Mm. Um, and I think having that is, like, is amazing. And, again, has, like, changed the game. Like, in the last month, I know it's only been four weeks, but it's made such a difference um, to, how, to how things operate. Um, in terms of, um, I guess people like learn in different ways and like people need different things from you as a manager, leader, like whatever you want to call it. Um, so figuring out how to get the best out of 
out of people. Um, mm. And like, no two people are the same. I'm not the same as Marielle's, not the same as Charlie's, not the same as, you know, we all operate in different ways. And I think it takes a while to, to understand that. But once you do realise that it's not like one application for all people. Mm. And I want to talk about some of the partnerships that Gardam's done mm. because you've done some really, really impressive stuff. Mm. Um, lots of really high profile stuff. I think one of the most recent things and one of the most amazing was obviously Gardam's um, Guardian Weekend Takeover. Mm-hmm. Was that last August? August, yeah. Yeah. Um, you've done and your you research. had this. I've done my research. Well, no, I have yeah, a copy of the yeah, 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 yeah. version. You know, <laughs> you know I'm a fangirl. Um, and you did the Penguin Bookshop Takeover yeah. when uh, Michelle Obama's memoir came out. Mm-hmm. How do these partnerships come about? Um, oh, interesting. So I guess with the Penguin one, um, like I'd been in conversation with them for a little while and we were like kind of trying to come up with um, like ideas um, of things to work with on. Um, and then they said that, you know, like she was coming. They Well, they didn't really say they were like, so, you know, like the most famous person. And I was like, oh, I was like, Serena. And I was like, oh, no, uh, Oprah. Oh, Michelle Obama. OK, great. Um, and then we kind of like. They didn't really give us any steers on what it was that they wanted to do around it, but we came up with this proposal, okay. which was basically to take the core themes of the book and build this, like, five-day um, extravaganza of, like, events, workshops, talks, um, kind of mentoring for young people mm-hmm. and put that into, like, a physical space, into a physical bookstore um, and invite people to talk about topics like black motherhood and like all the kind of themes you know we themed the music like everything was really it was like a really uh holistic picture and they loved it and I think it 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 was a great idea and and it and it it was wonderful and I'm you know Mm. it was was a beautiful thing I kind of got to live my dreams of running a bookshop (laughs) Charlie will say the same um so that's how that came about and then the Guardian one was like an over coffee thing with Melissa and Ruth who are the editor and deputy editors um, and Charlie had, like, spent some time, like, interning there, like, back in the day. I don't know how far back in the day it was. But, um, and Ruth was one of her mentors. So I think maybe they reached out to us and said, do you want to, like, meet up and talk through ways that we could work together? And we were, like, throwing ideas out there and, like, um, like nothing initially um, seemed like the thing we wanted to do and then took a bit of time. And then Charlie kind of jokingly said, like, we should take it over. And they were like, that's a really good idea. And we were like, yeah, that's a really good idea. Um, and then um, that's how that happened. And again, it was a case of building like a huge proposal. Um, and yeah, we were like very hands on. We were in there with them for two weeks, like editing, like commissioning, working with them on the imagery, photography, illustrations, like every element of it. Um, you know, it was it wasn't just like, slap bang our name on it and mm. we don't really have no, any you, input I mean, you could tell from the out from the yeah. end result that it was very much galdam very competent. i thought it was quite intriguing that it was you know like a cross media like two different media platforms mm, mm. which you know could reasonably be classed as i think competitors mm. or i thought that was mm. quite an interesting collaboration mm. that you guys kind of yeah joined up like that it was like our content their platform right yeah um so I, and I think there were things that both organisations took from it. For for us, it was like being in that environment, realising that we kind of did know what we were doing to a degree, which was really nice. I was so scared mm. going in. I was like, oh, my God, they're going to be like, these girls are not real editors. Like, what's going on? Um, um, but, like, it was fine. Um, and then for, for them, I think they um, kind of 
it gave them the insight, I guess, to make sure that when they're like casting for things or when they're like hiring the crews and the teams, like it's not just about like the people that you see. It's also about like the machine uh, behind behind it in the production element. And so I think, yeah, there was like so many takeaways and we've got a great relationship with them. Like Ruth was in the office the other day doing some like commissioning training with our editors and stuff. Um, and it's nice. It's like natural. Like we work with people that that we get on with that like get where we're coming from. Um, and, you know, these are genuine kind of relationships that we're fostering. It's not like a, like, you know, whenever we work with people, it's not to be like a high buy kind of situation. I think Galdam has done really well to get people invested in their mission. Like, mm. I think from the brands you work with to the collaborations mm. you do, like mm. it does mm. feel like people, like you say, don't just kind of treat this as like wham, bam, but it's mm. kind of like a long term. Even once a collaboration is commissioned, in a collaboration is finished, mm. it feels like, I don't know, just the, the projects that you guys mm -hmm. work on seem to kind of have a different vibe from yeah, for what sure. other people for are sure. doing. Because we're, you know, we're nice people. <laughs> we're easy to get on with. And in the, what you were saying, sorry, about like com competing media or whatever, like with um, Bustle, we have, um, we've been doing this for a little while with them. We're like, we'll share each other's content. Um, and I don't think there's like a hard and fast rule that as platforms, you shouldn't shout about each other or support support each other no. I think I think our focus like more so than uh bigger publications is obviously spotlighting specifically like women and non-binary people of color that have their own projects or their own magazines or their own things that they're doing mm. um and there's like there's so much because the gap the void is so huge like there's no harm in um in telling everyone about everything you know mm. yeah that's very true what how important are these partnerships to galdem mm. from a sort of like business point of view like what's the business imperative mm. to do stuff like this because you know you have done lots of partnerships lots of collaborations mm. i assume it's not just for fun and not mm. just because it looks good like what's mm -hmm. the kind of I business mean, yeah, argument revenue <laughs> um yeah i mean when you work with brands obviously that's a that's a big way um to bring in revenue to the company and as i said like branded content is like a huge way um you know, to make sure that everyone's salaries get paid, you mm, know? Mm. Um, but I think also, you know, everything that we do, we do with purpose. So we're going to have some cool stuff that I can't really... I'm, I always, like, almost say too much. Um, <laughs> Can you give me an exclusive? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, when it's finally signed off from the client. Um, I've dropped the internship, though, which, which like, that means it has I'm to be... I'm really, really excited about it. Yeah, it has to happen. It has to be I'm ready by the 20 seconds. So. <laughs> We're just, like, doing the application form now. So, like, everything that we do, we try and do with a purpose. So, like, we've got some, uh, like kind of like sporty things that we're working on this summer like that are tied to like really important moments and things that are going to be coming up I think we always tr we always do things with a purpose so we've got you know our um partnership with Kickstarter we're doing like an event with them on the 30th of April um and the aim of that is basically to like offer our community the opportunity to come like if they've got an idea learn how to like fundraise for that idea learn how to like grow your audience and like how to tap into that and to build something successfully and I wasn't really expecting that many people to apply and like so many people have applied like it was within the first day hundreds and hundreds and um, so you know either it's to like upskill to spotlight people's work to support people mm. to like there there's always there's always a reason behind it and and you're always providing value to your community i mm. think that's the important thing that people often forget when they're mm. doing either branded content or partnerships with brands it's like is this offering value to your community as well as you know bringing in revenue yeah. to use a company because if it's not offering value if people don't want this if you wouldn't do this anyway you know if without the brand yeah. being on board, yeah. then is there any point in yeah. doing it? Yeah. 
our community is switched on as well, so you know. Exactly. <laughs> well, actually, that is something that I want to talk to you about because yeah. I think working with brands and institutions, a lot of these places are very kind of white environments. Mm-mm. And sometimes I've definitely had this um, happen to me, but I feel like sometimes those organisations just kind of either want to bring you in to kind of tick a box or they work with you, but they want like a watered down version of your opinions your take on things and I think there can be a lot of tensions in those sort of partnerships mm. um and like I said I've turned down opportunities or I've backed out of things oh, that yeah, I've said same. yes to same. um because I get in there and the vibe isn't mm-hmm. right so I just wanted to understand how you navigate that especially like you said mm. considering that Gardam is a platform that has really switched on really engaged mm-hmm. community who mm. are very vocal yeah, yeah. about when you know stuff yeah. doesn't look right how do yeah. you deal with I that? I mean and and so are we you know we you know we run a lot of content that you know challenges um injustices that we see like whether that's politically or or whatever culturally um i think obviously we choose to work with people who we who we feel as though have like a similar kind of shared mission Mm -hmm. there are certain people that like we wouldn't work with or we like have turned down work with and same for me on a personal level when i'm doing like personal branded projects or whatever Mm -hmm. There's so many people that I've said no, and and I and I'll explain the reasons as to why, and and I think that opens up a dialogue, and 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 people usually aren't that surprised. Also, people when people do work with brands, and I'm thinking like, oh, I'm not sure. I also understand that people have bills and stuff to right. pay, so it's not for me to be the moral arbiter and be like, actually yeah. no. And fundamentally, you know, we're going to keep doing our best. Like we've got guidelines, we've got things in place to work. Um, with people who align with our values mm. um, we want to to maintain that the central offering of Galdam and as much of the stuff that we do is free and is accessible to our audience and a part of that means that we work with um, that we work with brands and we work with brands that we that we like that we love mm. um, but that is just fundamentally what it is we could either we could we could not do that and not be able to offer all of these amazing things yeah or uh, and and probably not be able to sustain as a business. So yeah. it's you know it's you have to. You, I think you constantly are you're constantly um, weighing up mm. pros and cons and what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Do you work on Galden full time now? Yeah, from the last month. I mean, I was doing it full time basically for four years anyway. Yeah. But like in terms of, I was doing lots of other projects and stuff. I was in commissioning at the BBC mm. um, on like kind of flexi part time basis mm. and lots of different projects. But now I'm in the office five days a week which so means i'm reclaiming doing those other things uh yeah like i've i've said no to like a few things in the last whatever since we've been up and running yeah um and i kind of said to my agent like I, for march like i like i can't because we're like setting up whatever yeah. um but i've i've taken on quite like a few writing projects which is really nice for me because it's something that i'm doing for myself yeah. um and but that means then obviously you do those things in your evenings in your weekends but it's nice because to a degree I'm I'm able now to have reclaimed some of that time back from mm. my evenings and weekends because before there was no set structure so I'd all like you'd always be on call yeah um and that's not healthy so it's good it's nice it's a nice feeling now it's like yes bank holiday weekend <laughs> like first time in how long Charlie was literally saying like <laughs> I haven't celebrated a bank holiday in like ever. I was as just a freelancer saying this to my friend the other day. I actually once one of my friends I remember because she works a nine to five and obviously I'm freelance and have been for a long time. Mm. And she texted me and she was like, "I'll oh, come over." It was a Friday and I was like, well, "Okay." I was like, "Yeah, I'll come over for lunch." And I was like, "Huh, are you bunking off work?" And she was like, "It's it's a bank holiday." And I was like, "I literally when you're self employed." 
I literally have no idea. Like I had, you know, I was kind mm. of in my own little bubble. Yeah. I always realised bank holiday, but like, you know, like the day before the day of. So yeah. it is really nice that it you is, kind it of is. have that now. It's so lovely. But also for you, if you can try and, you know, yeah. build some of those things into it, do. Because otherwise, because those things, those things actually do help. That little one bank holiday there and the one uh, there. And do you feel like... Because I actually want to talk about the division of your kind of professional goals and professional aspirations mm. between stuff that's Galden Mm-mm. and stuff that's for live because mm. that must be hard because yeah. the, especially the way other people perceive you, mm. it's like you're live little founder of Galden. Mm-mm. How do you kind of... And also also because Galden kind of really comes from your beliefs and who you are as a person, mm-hmm. it's like you can't even really divide them. It's no, like, it's really you're hard, You're still the same pe- yeah, person yeah. who believes in all of these things. So how do you kind yeah. of... I don't even know the question I'm asking, but how no, do I know you what kind you're of... Because I think about this as well sometimes. And also, like, because something feels so intrinsically tied to you and your being, like, when things happen with the business that might be stressful, like, you internalise that as, like, personal stress. Mm. So, like, I think it is important to try and figure out ways. I have not figured it out yet. Mm. But figure out ways that you are able to see that separation. It's like, if something goes wrong with this mm. client or whatever it is, that's not, like, it's gone wrong with Liv or you're awful or whatever. It's like, yeah. okay something has happened here and like try and decompartmentalize and make it so personal oh my but, god I mean, that, that sounds ridiculous to me even as i say it because i imagine galdem is very personal to you like yeah it is yeah i think a personal it is thing. i think it is to all of us like you know it's it's yeah it 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 does many things you know yeah. um but i do oh like obviously i have had things that i've done or been doing like separate to that whether that's like tv work or like audio work or mm. whatever um, and I love Galdem so, so much, but it is like really important for me to have things that I do that are like purely to, for, for my kind of like growth and development on yep. the projects that I wanted to have time to like become a better writer or mm. like um, become like actually produce this audio thing that I've been putting off for four years or whatever it is. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, getting the balance right is um, is tricky, but I think it should be easier Um now and the thing is obviously it makes sense that when you're doing stuff to always be like feeding back and talking about like um all of these other things that you're doing but Mm. yesterday was the first time actually like um other than this actually which is nice I've had two podcasts um which where people have actually been asking questions like on a like on a deeper level not just like you know how did it start and this and, and the business and whatever and it's like having those moments like I just I I will then end up like this just rambling on because it's not like it's something that happens um happens very often or when you're doing panels about diversity or whatever do you like doing panels about diversity no (laughs) i'm doing one today i'm winding you up today (laughs) i am i'm not i i find them so problematic I'm not, oh, I don't know why I say yes because I'm like all business. It's good to do. I think there is. A, I think there is a real case for you doing them as you know a figurehead yeah. of Galdem. Like I yeah. do think there is a real case for you doing them. I, and I don't think diversity panels are bad in and of themselves. It's just that I struggle with a when diversity is only seen as like gender diversity, which yep. is just one thing. And it's like, mm. oh, here's a panel about diversity, but it's only white women, and I'm mm. like, okay, hello, exactly. And for a lot of people, that is their conception of diversity. And I think yeah. there's a lot of work that needs to be done to kind of make people realise that. But then also I struggle with feeling like 
there's just a lot of lip service. Oh and my God. You're like, how many times do you actually have to get us in to say, hire some people, right. get some people on your projects. Don't just go to your little black book, which is like, oh, we'll get Liv, we'll get Tega, we'll get like yeah. Monroe, whatever. Like be a little bit more like- Creative. Creative, like yeah. do, do, do some research. Exactly. And hire people. And I think there is a certain point at which you're like, bullshit like you guys don't really care like you do want to play lip service you yeah. know what needs to happen there are enough reports and studies and things that show that i just think oh no like to me it's actually very simple it's yeah. just hire more diversely so and also hire more diversely at the top not yeah. just you know exactly level. hello and i actually did a talk and i remember this actually everyone looked a bit shocked but i did a talk at an ad agency years ago mm. where they got me in to give a talk and i and they you know somebody in the audience who was very senior sort of near the ceo of the company and was like <laughs> oh, so what can we do to, you yeah. know, make things more diverse? And I was like, well, you should stop getting people like me in to speak and actually just start hiring. Like, I was like, I don't care if I talk myself out of a job. Like, I do think it's kind of ridiculous that people, you know, you invite me in to what speak. What should we do? What do you mean? Like, I, oh, my it's God. So Honestly, anyway, I'm this journalist from the BBC, she must have tweeted, like, no, I don't want to be on your panel about diversity, but, yes, I will be on your panel about, like, international development, which is, like, what mm. she does. It's like, yeah. Put me on a panel where we're talking about like the media work. or like uh, creative work or, you know, cu coming up with creative concepts. Like, mm. don't just get me on the panel to talk about like Identity. diversity in the great, like, yeah, boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I really agree. Um, a few kind of general questions mm -hmm. to wrap things up. What do you find to be the biggest challenge of running Galdem? I don't even I don't even think it's like the obviously you know there's financial things that you in target stuff you have to meet but for me I I don't that's not even that's not the stuff that like scares me I think it's like the looking after yourself stuff mm. <laughs> like the 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 checking in and making sure that you're good and therefore like the the business can be good and that you're putting in the good stuff that's something that um I'm learning about um and like being confident and like figuring out your way and like knowing that your way is okay. <laughs> you seem very confident personality wise, but mm. I assume you mean in a kind of like a bigger sense and trusting Yeah, bigger your... sense. Oh my God, I'm so like, I'm so that person that goes to like that really dark place that is like, the world's gonna end and like, mm. this is all gonna end horribly. And you have to like, my girlfriend's always like, live like you need to calm down. I'm like, okay, yeah, no, I, I do I need to calm down. I a lot and like, yeah, always think that the worst case scenario My is God, and then you drive yourself crazy. And, and everyone else. Yeah. Like literally, 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 oh my God, I must drive people so crazy. And looking back over the past four years since you started Galdem, yeah. is there anything that you think you'd have done differently? Um, I mean, it would always be nice to have that infrastructure from the beginning, but mm. I think you don't, I didn't know, like maybe I wish I had like someone to tell me that this was like a, a thing that you could, a route that you could go down. This is how you raise, this is how you like mm. get networks. This is like who you should be talking to like f from a slightly earlier stage. Mm. But then I also kind of think I did the things that I needed to do and that we went through the processes that we n needed to go through. So I imagine you've learned a lot from like bootstrapping your way to where yeah. you are now. Doing accounts and like, I remember the first year I was like, oh my God, I was like late, I got like a hundred pound late fine and I was like freaking out like with the tax return, like never had done like a business like tax How did you before. learn, actually, I meant to ask you about that. How mm. did you learn about all the kind of financial side of Galdem, like the operational stuff? Um, Marielle knows a lot. So having her now is like, is amazing. Who, so who's Marielle? Marielle heads up our branded content and okay. she's been like in, before she was um, editing like, lifestyle stuff but she was working at mindshare before um and so for the last like two months she's been in helping with that which is useful in terms of generally before 
I don't really know. Like, I probably asked my mum a bit of, like, things that I had to do. Um, How come? Google. Oh, because my mum spent 10 years um, helping uh, young people set up businesses. Okay. Yeah. So very convenient. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's funny because we don't, like, talk about business, like, very often. She's yeah. just, like, she's mum. Yeah. She's not, like... But, um, but yes, so so she there were certain things that she told me in terms of, like, how to set up a company and that kind of thing that I was very grateful that she showed me how to do because I wouldn't have known and what type and how it should work and mm. um don't don't go down this route and you know your business is not a charity your business is a business yeah. like just because it it services like an underrepresented underrepresented community it doesn't mean that it is a like not for profit mm-hmm. charity thing cuz mm. and where you're reporting to someone else's needs you know like but I think that's that's like I think people assume that I don't think so now but I think in the beginning, maybe people kind of feel like, yes, it must be a kind of initiative and like whatever. Yeah, I think I had that a bit with Women Who um, because I think, I mean, Women Who is not anywhere near the scale Galden, but I think I have that same thing of like, yes, I want this to serve a social purpose, Mm-mm. which I believe deeply in, mm. but I also want it to be sustainable enough that I can do it, if not full time, because I don't know whether I ever want to do it full time because I have like you, other professional mm. interests, Mm-mm. but I want it to be self-sustaining enough that... It's not, it's, I always, I, I just remember somebody asking me, why don't you register it as a charity? And I was like, this is not a charity. This oh, is rude. a business. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't they, they were trying to be helpful. I, I'm like, I'm so offended. I was yeah. like, because I remember we won this award and it was for like charity something. And I was like, but we're, but we're a business. Like, come on, like, don't but do that. But when you're serving, like you say, like an underrepresented community, when there is a very clear kind of social good or social justice yeah. aim in your business, people find it hard to understand that. And, as a result, actually, I deliberately referred to myself as an entrepreneur a lot when yeah. I started um, Women Who, just so that people were really clear on what it was not. I was mm-hmm. like, this is a very small business, but it is a business as opposed to a charity. Mm-hmm. So I think that's quite an interesting distinction. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. It is interesting. I, I mean, economic empowerment is so important. And like, for, in order for us to be, su- we need to be successful so we can keep commissioning, working with, um, putting cash in the hands of, um, providing a platform for people that don't often have that like mm. and and I and I want to I want us to do that in a comfortable way why should we be like struggling yeah. or like reporting to some what someone else wants I don't think yeah. that should be the way and like my mum had a background of doing what she was doing like in that sector mm. for for a decade and it's hard and then the financial crash happens and these things happen and then the, your your what you're doing is no longer fits with the aims of this like char- charitable funder you're and beholden to other people no i don't want that like i don't yeah. want that and i and i i just i want us to be financially secure all of us when i say all of us i mean like just women of color and nobody people of color in general i want yeah. us to have what it is that we need to have the, the tools the skills the networks the resources that is definitely a message I can get on board with. Thank you so much for <laughs> coming into the studio, me. Liv. Thanks for having me. You're wonderful. <laughs> on today's segment of Ask a Tager, I've got a letter from someone wondering whether to pursue a career as a digital influencer. Here it is. Dear Tager, I recently graduated from university, so naturally I'm considering my next steps on the career front. I studied a mix of creative disciplines such as photography, design and writing and a lot of people have pointed out to me that my skill set would be really well suited to a career as a digital influencer. Even though I'm well aware of the many positive effects of social media, I'm also fairly suspicious of it. At the moment I don't even have a personal Instagram account. 
Witnessing how much online personalities give away about themselves and seeing the abuse that every single woman in the public eye seems to face is enough to make my already anxious self feel seriously panicky. And the thought of starting a blog or building a social media presence makes me feel really icky and fear for my privacy. But I also feel really alone because I've never heard anyone else talk about this particular fear of sharing. Then there's the fact that the careers of so many creative people I admire are so inherently connected to sharing on social media. I feel like if I choose a creative job, having an online presence where I share personal aspects of my life would be an unavoidable part of my career. I really don't know how to proceed and I'd love your take on this. You're sincerely scared of sharing. Uh, first of all, I think it's really worth pointing out that you absolutely don't have to and in fact shouldn't share details about your personal life on social media if you don't feel comfortable doing it. I think you're completely right that having a social media presence or you know profile online comes with an enormous amount of scrutiny, which to be honest only increases the bigger your following or your profile becomes and it's not for the thin skinned. I think obviously there are lots of great things about being a woman on the internet. You know, personally, I've learned a lot. I've made new friends. I've gotten professional opportunities out of it. And I really hate the idea of a young woman feeling, you know, bullied off the internet or discouraged from using it freely because of trolls. But it is something to recognise and be aware of. Uh, you know, the reality of being a woman who dares to stick her head above the, you know, proverbial parapet and have an online presence is that you will encounter judgment from all angles. So... I do think that's a reality that you kind of have to face up to. But like I said, I really don't feel that if you don't feel you actually personally want to share about your personal life on social media that you should feel obligated to. Uh, a couple of misconceptions I think it might be worth correcting, first of all. Um, there is no requirement to share personally on social media just because you do creative work. I think one of the problems with the popularity of personal essays in recent years is that young women who want to break into the media or creative industries are basically encouraged to sell off bits of their personal lives for, you know, £50 here and there and a few hundred thousand clicks. And there is a lot of irresponsible commissioning out there. But when it comes to writing, personal essays are not the only path to becoming a writer. You don't mention what kind of writing you want to do, but plenty of writers and journalists manage to completely sidestep personal disclosure in their work, you know, you could be political or cultural or social commentary, a features writer. I think you really need to broaden your reference pool of creatives and find some examples of writers or photographers or digital media professionals whose work doesn't rely on personal sharing. There are plenty out there. In your longer letter, you gave examples of some well-known media professionals with big social media followings that you admire and you kind of completely overlooked the fact that these people are journalists or writers first and foremost. So although social media has in many cases bolstered some aspects of their careers, and that's something that applies to me as well, they aren't influencers first and foremost, and they have a skill set and careers that would still be completely intact if Twitter and Instagram were to disappear tomorrow. I think it's worth bearing in mind that Influencer culture is still a fairly new phenomenon. As an industry, it's constantly evolving. No one really knows where it's going, even if, even if they claim to. Um, but it's actually also becoming more difficult, not less difficult, to make a living as an influencer, despite what it might seem. You know, it's already such a saturated market and it's a lot harder to break through now than it was four or five years ago. So I do think you need to consider that as well. I think hitching a wagon to social media platforms that you don't own or control is a risky move. You know, one algorithm change and your livelihood could dry up overnight 
you don't own any of the content or information that you put on social media, the tech platforms do. So I think it's really important to remember that. You know, you talk a lot about being an influencer. What is it that you actually want to do for a living day to day? Do you want to write? Do you want to design? Do you want to take photos? Do you want to do all three? Do you want to do none of the above? You know, being an influencer, I don't really think it makes sense to have as a goal in itself or a job in itself. And I think you should again bear in mind that the people you mentioned, whose names I've removed, but the people you mentioned who you admire actually achieve their kind of so-called influencer status by pursuing, you know, other types of work and their social media followings are kind of a byproduct of being really good at other things, whether that's writing or podcast hosting or whatever. Um, I think it's really important to consider how fulfilled you would actually be by solely being an influencer if you don't actually derive any pleasure from public disclosure. And, you know, something that I think you could consider if you have all these skills that might make social media a good avenue for you career-wise, you can do social media for other people. You know, your mix of skills, writing, photography, design, that would make you a perfect candidate for, you know, sort of junior social media exec role at lots of brands and companies who, you know, need to up their social media profile but don't know how to do it. I'm sure you have a really intuitive understanding of how those platforms work. And those, you know, those jobs are always going, those brands are always hiring, those cultural institutions are always looking for people who can help make them more relevant to a younger audience. So why not put your various skills to good use on behalf of something or someone else? It's just something to think about. If you've got a career question you'd like my advice on during next month's Ask a Taker segment, just email podcast at womenwho.co and let me know what's on your mind. And that's it for this month. Thank you for tuning in. For more career inspiration and information, follow Women Who at Women Who on Instagram and Twitter or head to our website www.womenwho.co forward slash newsletter to sign up for our weekly newsletter, The Roundup. You can find me at Otega Uagba on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're listening on iTunes, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review as it really does help enormously. See you next month.